Vegcast. Hello, it's November for a few more hours. Vegcast. And I'm Vance bringing you Vegcast 35. Vegcast. A full menu from first to last. Vegcast. Yes, it's another full menu of Vegcast coming your way during this holiday season when we tend to look back and uh, with nostalgia and family relationships and so forth and that's kind of the theme as we interview Zinnia Convisor about the vegetarian hotel that uh, her mother and father uh, started in the Catskills and which operated for most of the 20th century uh, with many people having attended there but uh, it's not Something that a lot of current, the current generation, the young people of today seem to be aware of. So we uh, go into that whole situation, the history of that, how that's affected Zinnia as well. And uh, we will also have a musical uh, entry which comes with a little bit of an update about uh, one of VegCast's uh, favorite uh, regular uh, featured artists, and uh, of course we'll also have a science fact about the school lunch program and some surprising findings there. I'd like to remind you that this VegCast is sponsored by Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated vegan equipment by dedicated vegans. So sit back with a big bowl of ice cream or a nice hot beverage of your choice and relax as we now unspool this edition of All right, we'll get right into that interview with Zinnia, but first I want to give a hat tip to Maynard Clark, the tireless Maynard Clark, who uh, is the one that prodded me to uh, do a podcast about this, and it's certainly a worthwhile subject for that, as well as for uh, getting more information out there in general. There's uh, plenty that we couldn't quite get to just in this brief conversation, and Maynard has uh, some documentation that he's trying to corral into a web form, as far as I know, and trying to get uh, also any reminiscences from people out there who uh, attended the hotel. If uh, that describes you, you can drop me a line at vance at vegcast.com, or I'll uh, give you Maynard's address as well at the end of the show, and uh, we can uh, get those all together and get a fuller picture of uh, this vegetarian hotel. But first, let's hear straight from Zinnia, uh, whom I interviewed last summer at Summerfest in the uh, Living Learning Center, which is why there is some ambient crowd noise. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to hear what's going on through that. Let's head right over to Johnstown for that interview. Okay, we're here at the Living and Learning Center at the University of Pittsburgh, Johnstown with Zinnia Convisor. How are you doing, Zinnia? Very well, thank you. And you've agreed to talk with us on VegCast specifically about your family history, and uh, you uh, you grew up in New York, and your parents, uh, can you just briefly summarize what the main thing that, that they were notable for, although apparently my there were parents, many notable things. My father was a young boy felt that vegetarian didn't know that there was such a thing as vegetarianism or people that were vegetarians he didn't know of any in, that's in Bialystok, Poland but as he grew up but he felt it was wrong to kill animals and eat them not knowing that there was even a word for it 
And just for perspective, when about was this when he was a young as boy? As a boy, as when? a young boy, had to be in the 1890s. Okay. And my mother also didn't know that anything about vegetarianism. However, she did have a cousin where his origin of vegetarianism came from. I never asked. He was an artist. He he raised a family that weren't vegetarians, but he was. And that's where my mother got the idea of vegetarianism. And I understand from my aunts, not from my mother, that she was always the sickliest of all the children, of ten children. Uh, really? Your mother was? My mother. However, she lived longer than any of her siblings. Okay. She lived to 93, where the others lived to the late 80s or the early 90s, 90, 91, and so on. And so they got together, Abe My, and Fanny? Right. They, they were told that there is a Jewish... There's a vegetarian restaurant downtown in Lower Manhattan, and that there was a vegetarian Abe, and that they met, and they settled in Stelton, New Jersey. Now, wait, they met at a vegetarian restaurant? Correct, and they got together, and they lived in Stelton, New Jersey. They had a small house. I have a picture of the house. Good. And my my oldest brother, of course, was born there. In 1920, they decided they wanted to move up to the mountains and raise their family in the mountains, in the country. And they arrived in Mountaindale, New York, and somebody showed them around. They found a boarding house, a farm with a boarding house. I guess they must have had six rooms there or something like that. And that's where they started the family. They had a garden. They had a, a horse, a cow, chickens, because that was a farm, although they were both vegetarians. Vegan was not part of anybody's vocabulary in those days. Sure, why it wasn't even part of Donald Watson's vocabulary yet. Right. Living in the country and my mother having had a big family, my father had an extended family. They used to come up in the summertime to visit in the country because they all lived in the city. They lived in Union City, New Jersey. They lived in Brooklyn, New York. And they came to visit. As a couple of years came by and they brought friends, my father put up an eight-room bungalow. They had to knock down the outside toilet and build an eight-room bungalow there. Okay. And they made rooms for the guests that were coming to the boarding house. And my mother was cooking. And, of course, only cooking vegetarian. They did have a garden. They had to grow their own stuff. Right. And after probably 1923, 24, I said my father built the eight-room bungalow. And it continued to grow. And I think in 1928, Eight, they built the main house, which eventually became the hotel. The hotel, you say? That's right. The veget- the vegetarian hotel, Fanny Schaefer's vegetarian hotel. And you were mentioning just before we started, she, uh, was your father was Cohen Visor, but she retained her maiden name. Right, and my father was a carpenter. Apprenticed as a carpenter when he came to this country. They both came, they didn't know each other. They both came from Bialystok. They didn't know each other. They both came about the same time, 1945. My mother earned $2.50 a week working at a sewing machine in the garment district, and she went to night school to learn English. 
my father, of course, had schooling in Europe and continued. My father was always looking for education, always reading and learning until he died. As the hotel grew and they had gardens and more people came, as the entire hotel industry in Sullivan County, Catskill Mountains, the, so did the vegetarian hotel grow. Mm -hmm. Even though we didn't have vegan, it was vegetarian. And my mother made, we of Jewish descent, made Jewish-style cooking. We had vegetarian gefilte fish on Saturday. Now, wait a second. How do you do vegetarian gefilte fish? I really can't give out recipes because my brother is writing a recipe book from the vegetarian hotel, but it's made with nuts and, okay. and vegetables. All right. We'll follow and up with it. That. was with eggs also, I'm sorry okay. to say. And as I said, they didn't. it wasn't vegan, but we had people coming. We had guests that stayed the entire summer that ate nothing but watermelon. They were on watermelon diets. Okay. They spent two months eating watermelon because they wanted to lose weight. And, of course, what could be better than who would... Yeah. If you like watermelon, you don't mind living on it. Okay. We had lectures... Under the tree of knowledge, we say we had lawn chairs out on the lawn. We had prominent people come to speak there. Dr. Warmbrand was a regular speaker there. We had Dr. Schreier there, who was a natural naturopath. Up until we knew of him, up until World War II, I don't know what we don't know what happened to him in World War II, but we do know that he was in jail uh -oh. practicing medicine without a license. He was a naturopath. <laughs> And he wrote a book, which I have, Am I a Physician or a Criminal? Wow. And we had other prominent people over the years coming there. Al the Alec, Bur Alec Burton had been a speaker there. George Eisman was a speaker there. And and this continued, the, the Vegetarian Hotel continued with Until this rigorous program of activities and right. everything we into had the folk 80s. dancing we had movies we had entertainment at night we had hired entertainment on Saturday night during the early in the late 1930s we had a we had the waiters did entertainment and we used to take the break the dining room down but they built the stage I can remember when they built the stage Vaguely, I was a very little girl at that time, and they put on shows in the dining room. They moved the tables aside, they set up the chairs, and they made a an, an auditorium out of the main dining room. When you say shows, you mean like cabaret songs? That singing, and, singing, right? And they, we had dancing entertainment there. Yeah. And the, it was really we had everything that the Catskill Mountains hotels had. We had a regular folk dance teacher. We had lectures. We had solariums um, up in the woods, the male and female solariums, where there was nude sunbathing. Okay. They had a. I don't remember. We, we had, had a tennis court. We had a handball court. In 1950, we built a swimming pool. Man. And we had hiking. There was a lake. We owned part, a property again alongside the lake where we had. Row boating, right? And of course, the scenery of seeing the lake was beautiful. You were able to see from the front lawn of the hotel. Oh, I can imagine. Well, now, so let me ask you, what what's your? I mean, you grew up vegetarian. 
Right. So, and you were immersed in this uh, kind of vegetarian culture in a way that most people don't get. So, you, you mentioned in your little thing, you're, people are always asking, what's a vegetarian? Because they obviously were right. well, not used to you. But how was it for you, you know, going out into the world well, and having to constantly Living deal in a with small it? town, in my class there were 12 people. There was one Zinnia, there was one Marilyn, there was one Sandra, there was one of each of names. And there was some Orthodox people, there were Jewish people, there were Polish, there were Christian, Presbyterian. No, no one was really particularly religious, but we had a, a good mix of different religions, religious backgrounds. We weren't religious, we were atheists, but of course our background was Yiddish. Therefore, in a small town, you were able to be a vegetarian or a kosher person or whatever it was, and they knew. But, of course, they looked. My parents were not social in town. Everybody knew them. They knew everybody. Of course, under a 1,000 people, you have to know everybody. But they were really immersed in their uh, in their life, in their vegetarian life. We went to New York. We saw relatives. We, went to, we attended vegetarian functions. And... In those years, a babysitter, there was no such thing as a babysitter. You took the kids with you. Okay. Therefore, every lecture that my parents went to, and I was, my brothers, I went to with, their, with them. So well, I've been attending lectures all my life. So, but you, when you went out and started to live on your own and stuff, you continued to be a vegetarian. Right. Was there any ever any, you know, thought that, oh, that... That world that I grew up in, that was just, you know, that was the aberration, and then no. here is the mainstream thing that I'm supposed to become part of. Well, I'm a, I am was a vegetarian. I grew up amongst vegetarians, mm-hmm. although 95% of our clientele were not vegetarians. Mm-hmm. I had family that were not vegetarians, but they came to the hotel. My cousins all grew up at the hotel eating vegetarian food. Right. They may have gone into town and had a sandwich once in a while, mm-hmm. but basically they were eating vegetarian food all summer long. Right. But so it was never a temptation to you to, at some point in your life, to say, no. you know, that was just something that I grew up with. Now I'll, no. I'll go off. I, on. I, I, I didn't just grow up a vegetarian. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I grew up in a vegetarian world. Yeah. I knew. I don't know if you knew there was Camp Hygiology. Dr. Anderson ran. There was another vegetarian. There were a number of other vegetarian places. Not as large or didn't encompass all that we did. We did have hikes. We had calisthenics in the morning and stuff like that. But, of course, we had more rooms and we were really a larger hotel. But Dr. Anderson had somebody, a daughter that was a couple of years older than I am. Mm -hmm. There were other people that, as I said, because nobody had babysitters, they brought the kids to all these lectures. Right. So as you now growing up and going through the the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, um, I mean, you've seen the whole naturalist, hippie kind of movement come and go in, in mainstream culture. You've seen now vegetarianism start to get more PR, a little higher profile in mainstream culture. What's your perspective on it in terms of like the big picture, do you do you have hope that it's 
it's catching on, or do you see it more from the perspective, well, you know, we were doing this kind of stuff 70 years ago. Well, fortunately so. for me, I grew up in a world where I was able to be with other vegetarians. Are you doing anything about the, you have some artifacts here, You're. are you going to I don't know, put them out on the web? Are you going to let people know about this? Well, I let people know. I'm always letting people know. I'm always talking about the history of that. From my time of the vegetarian movement, it's the North American Vegetarian Society, the New York Society, New York Vegetarian Society, which is now defunct, the American Natural Hygiene Society, which I prefer calling as opposed to the National Health Association. Okay. And I don't have to come to these organizations because I need moral support or because I really have to learn how to be a vegetarian. I come as a volunteer. I come because they need people to come. And that's why I come to these things. And I like to be with people with like uh, ideas. Well, and i got to say, as somebody that's known you uh, at many of these and gotten used to seeing you here it's it's certainly uh a great thing that you do come and we we do appreciate it and of course learning about this whole history is just icing on the cake i like to do whatever i can the thing is i have the knowledge and people that today don't know right the history of the vegetarian society nobody wrote a history book maybe Rin Berry might someday write it. Well, that would be good, the, but the we'll get this out, and maybe by the time this is out, there will be something we can refer people to online or something uh, people can learn about this history. To back up a little bit, my parents be, became vegetarians. They were vegetarians and met as vegetarians in vegetarian restaurant, but they also belonged to the Anti-Vivisection League, which was, and from that anti-vivisection, there was a Jewish vegetarian society, and as a spin-off from that, they formed the New York Vegetarian Society, I believe, around 1932. Mm -hmm. The New York Vegetarian Society was going strong the years that I, when I was going to high school, I went the last two years of high school, I went to school in New York, and I went to the meetings regularly. In fact, I think when I was 18, I was on the board of the, of the New York Vegetarian Society. I remember going to meetings there. Wow. And then they decided, there were members of the New York Vegetarian Society decided they needed an organization that was more geared toward health as opposed to the Vegetarian Society, which encompassed other facets of vegetarianism, such as animal welfare and environment, right? not just health. And Dr. Shelton, you probably heard, used to come to New York once a year and have a lecture series. And they brought him into the idea that we ought to have an organization for that, which was not just New York City, but the national... American Natural Hygiene Society, which was mm -hmm. it became supposedly a national organization. And in the brainstorming for this new organization geared toward health, all these people, Norman Osborne, Simon Gould, Jack Tropp, Neil Emke, they formed, they 
brainstorm. They were all guests at the vegetarian hotel. They spent their summers there. Their wives and children spent there. And they brainstormed. They did a lot. Of, that's where they were on vacation. They had time to sit and talk about it. And they brainstormed for the American Natural Hygiene Society. And it became the natural... Dr. Shelton, they brought him into it. And they wanted his input. And they wanted a name for this new organization, Geared to Health. And Dr. Shelton said, let's use the name hygiene because hygiene means clean. And this is clean living. So they called it the American Natural Hygiene Society. Okay. And this brainstorming took here, took place at the Vegetarian Hotel. Okay. And that, at least, is, is still going the, strong. The American Natural Hygiene Society is going strong. Unfortunately, I feel unfortunately it isn't an unfortunate thing. They changed and they decided hygiene wasn't a good name because people misidentified with dental hygienist and a dentist uh, hygienist what's that they used to say a vegetarian what's that now they say a hygienist what's that <laughs> right so they changed it to the national health association which really lost its identity yeah and um, it's hanging in there and coming right. along it's doing its business and it's another good vegetarian organization okay so zinnia thank you for being who you are and thank you for being on VegCast and thanks for coming to Summerfest and I'd like to be able to help out wherever I can okay and if I can help with the history that's slowly being forgotten I'm glad I can do that I wish you can talk to my brother who's 87 years old and he can give you some more input if he remembers (laughs) (laughs) All right. thank you
For those of you who were alive in the 70s and had a radio on at all, you probably recognize that song, I Only Want to Be With You, by the Bay City Rollers. And if you're wondering why I'm playing the Bay City Rollers on VegCast, as you know, the rule for VegCast is that one of the band members must be vegetarian. And now that is the case, as the band has just announced their new lead singer is none other than Kyle Vincent. A VegCast favorite, and so congratulations to Kyle. That's great news, and we look forward to uh, some new Bay City Rollers songs. Uh, the other rule, of course, is that uh, the band has, or a band representative has to give permission for us to play the song on VegCast. Why we got permission from Kyle to play a song that he had nothing to do with back in uh, 1976, I think that was. At any rate, uh, that is the music news on this VegCast. So we're all very happy for Kyle and look forward to great things there. And while we're looking forward, we're going to move on now over to the science. Our science fact for this VegCast is kids will eat healthy school food. Yes, a new study, a University of Minnesota study, has found that school lunch sales don't decline when healthier meals are served, says the Associated Press, and that more nutritious lunches don't necessarily cost schools more to produce. Uh, Continuing reading in this uh, report, the conventional wisdom that you can't serve healthier meals because kids won't eat them is false, said Benjamin Senauer, one of three economists who wrote the study. Uh, Further on, we find that the study, which appears in the December issue of the Review of Agricultural Economics, analyzed five years of data for 330 Minnesota public school districts. It looked at compliance with federal standards for calories, nutrients, and fats. While serving better meals does entail higher labor costs, the study found that's offset by lower costs for more nutritious foods, such as fruits and vegetables, compared with processed foods. So here we have uh, a situation where we're serving kids processed foods such as uh, hot dogs, uh, lunch meat, bologna, pepperoni, all these things that, uh, as we reported last VegCast, uh, it's now been shown that there is no safe level to eat those uh, to avoid raising your cancer risk. Those are being fed to kids on the premise that we have to feed these to the kids because even though they're going to get cancer from them, the kids won't eat anything else. But the study now shows that the kids actually will eat nutritious food and that it doesn't actually cost any more to serve nutritious food. So one wonders what is remaining that would keep this system of serving processed animal products to children uh, across our nation's school system despite the fact that everybody knows that they are less healthy for the children, you know, our future and so forth, the ones that we're supposed to be protecting and doing everything for, uh, we wonder what's left. What is still going to maintain this, or is there going to be an overhaul of the system of school nutrition? Uh, I'm not putting my money on that because I think there might be a little something there left, which is the infrastructure of cronyism and of animal industries that have wormed their way into so much of our bureaucracy that it's going to be impossible uh, in the short term to get this changed, even in the face of such clear data that say that our children who should get the highest priority in good nutrition 
I will eat good, nutritious food, which doesn't cost any more to serve them. And that's because when it comes right down to it, the subject of feeding our nation's children and keeping them healthy is actually governed by forces far stronger and, dare I say it, far more sinister than a simple science fact. That's going to wrap it up for this VegCast for November 2007, wrapping that up as well. And as promised, if you do have any info about the vegetarian hotel we were talking about with Zinnia Convisor, uh, any reminiscences of it or documents, anything, Maynard Clark is uh, trying to get that together. He is at maynard.clark at gmail.com. You can email him or you can email me one way or another. We'll get it to him. Okay, so we will be back at you again in December, which is coming up very soon, with uh, more veg casting goodness. And uh, before we get out of here, I want to thank you for downloading VegCast. Remember, you can subscribe at iTunes. Thank you to Zinnia. Thank you to Maynard. Uh, and thank you to Kyle Vincent and the Bay City Rollers. And, of course, thank you to Temptation Vegan Ice Cream, the world's greatest non-dairy ice cream made on dedicated vegan equipment by dedicated vegans. And until the next VegCast, please get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.